0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And we're glad you're joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we are talking to Tom Cutler today. Uh, Tom is the CEO of T.R. Cutler, Inc., and Tom is one of the foremost journalists in manufacturing talking about manufacturers and their stories, which they sometimes either forget to tell or have a difficult time telling, and Lou, you've had some conversations with Tom, I've had some conversations with Tom, he's written over 7,000 articles that have appeared in virtually every magazine that touches or is related to manufacturing, we're thrilled to have him on the show, so... Uh, Lou, I'm
1: anxious to get started. How are you doing? I'm good. The only thing I want to say is I'd like to be able to take those 7,000 articles and or transcripts and put them right on our website because I read a lot of what (laughs) Tom has put forth uh, over the years. I think he's been involved in this now about 20 years Um, and, uh, you know, really good stuff. So, uh, Tom, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure.
0: So, great. Tom, I wonder if you would, would share with our listeners who are manufacturers and people in the manufacturing space or who touch it. They may be a supplier to the manufacturers. What T.R. Cutler does, and and I know I've stole a little of your thunder, but I'll let you uh, share with our listeners.
2: Well, let me give just one piece of background to answer your question. I was so frustrated 20 years ago that there just was no great database of where were the media outlets who was writing about manufacturing and industry? And of course, that's changed over 20 years to include distribution, warehousing. It's not quite as, you know, one way or the other. Manufacturing is, has taken on different permutations as the years have gone on. But every manufacturer has a story to tell, from the smallest, you know, three person shop to multi million dollar organizations. And they're so busy uh, running their companies. They forget sometimes to celebrate and to communicate some of the great things they're doing. And so they turn to journalists like myself to say, okay, can you cover us or can you tell the story? And so that's what our company does, and that's what I write about, any aspect of manufacturing and industry.
1: Well, I think it's really uh, great that you're making yourself available to uh, the manufacturing sector um, we do know that uh, manufacturers, as you stated, they don't have the time. They uh, are busy running their businesses. Uh, they don't fully understand uh, things that are in the news, which sometimes is not really news re- uh, manufacturing news relevant. Uh, and it's only been this past year that talking politics, which we don't like talking about uh, for all for all the obvious reasons we don't like talking about politics but it's hard to talk about manufacturing today without talking politics so this has become a major problem for lots of people including manufacturing talk radio that we need to be able to get the the message across about what's going right and what's going wrong with manufacturing
2: absolutely and i think part of that even sort of a, in touching the political part, but the reality is there's a global market, and anybody who thinks it's only you know a U.S. market is really limiting their market potential, and so that brings in the politics only because now we're trying to figure out okay how do we market in other parts of the world? Well, now we're talking about supply chain, now we're talking about new technology solutions. And so even the journey that the manufacturers are taking to becoming a global enterprise, that's a great story, too. People want to know how did some, I don't know, Indiana-based manufacturers suddenly become a global enterprise. Those are really important stories to tell because the lessons they've learned on their journey are absolutely applicable to other manufacturers.
1: Uh, that's, that's a very true comment, and uh, we're beginning to get the story uh, people that we've talked to, and people that listen to our show, that they're beginning to understand that they have to um, they have to get themselves involved and engaged in what's going on in the manufacturing world, and uh, not only here in the U.S. but other countries around the world. Um, and, and we, we're talking to people in Europe and South America, in uh, China, and so on. And, and the problem is that uh, we we just they they don't fully understand the consequences of not paying attention to what we're all trying to do. I think
2: that's true. I think part of it is. Again, as all manufacturers know, there's always sort of a crisis mode mentality. The second shift manager didn't show up, a conveyor line isn't working, you know, there's some urgent uh, materials didn't uh, arrive on time to fulfill an order. I mean, everyone is dealing with those kinds of crisis management thoughts. The challenge is when that all happens, and it's pretty much every day in manufacturing, something didn't go as planned marketing communication gets the back burner it, it just gets you know shuffled away and it's so important almost like a discipline to say okay every week we're gonna do something every week we're gonna you know ask everybody on our plant floor what are the three great things we did this week or well, maybe it's a new customer a new product maybe it's a new safety or quality uh, element maybe new technologies were implemented But if that's not part of the practice of the business, you know, for years, everyone's been talking about lean manufacturing, and that's made some incredible benefits and changes. But the next step is, okay, but you need to now bring that to the marketing and sales communication. Salespeople need to be armed with credible, published marketing collateral. And whether it's print or whether it's your show, they need to have... uh, Salespeople have to have tools to be able to uh, explain what their value proposition is. And I'm really excited when I talk to a manufacturer who's maybe never tiptoed into marketing before or never thought about that they have enough of a story to tell. They always have a story to tell. They don't know it, and I have to sometimes draw that out of them, but every (laughs) manufacturer has a story to tell.
1: Well, you're you're 100% right, Tom. Uh, they don't necessarily know it because they're busy making widgets. They're busy making payroll. They're busy uh, with all the things that they're busy with. Uh, and they don't quite get what they need to do to keep up with uh, the current um, the current flow of what needs to be done going into the future. You know, we don't have enough employees. We got uh We've got uh, uh, work skill gaps. We've got, we got a million things. And Tim and I have talked over the last five years to manufacturers and uh, people in the know about these issues. And we've learned a lot over these uh, last five years about how we are to go about to bring the message to manufacturing. Because you're not going to hear it on CNBC, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, and all the rest <laughs> of them. You're not going to hear it. Because if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead.
2: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you're absolutely right. The exciting part, though, is there are more media outlets now than ever before. And right. they are, in many cases, very, very specific. So, use food manufacturing as an example. There's more than five hundred publications that are very specific to food manufacturing. Now, they'll call themselves baking, and and then one will be a pizza magazine, and one will be you nuts, know, sweets, and desserts. I mean, they're very you know specific. But whether it's metalworking or fabricating, or whether it's um, you know, we, we can go across plastics and just injection molding, I and mean, there are so many um, industry trades. And sure, these are not like wide publications in the sense of you know maybe their circulation is 10, 20, thirty thousand but they are the backbone of information for so many people within those manufacturing sectors. So getting access to them. I think what a lot of companies are frustrated, you know, they call and all they're being pitched is to buy advertising. And there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, what they also need to be able to do is editorially talk about what happened, what was going on in the plant floor, what were the challenges they faced, and what were the solutions they chose and why, and how how is it benefited them? Because ultimately, people want to talk about what what worked and maybe what didn't work. I think it, you can learn just as much from what didn't work. And so that often is a great story for me to write about because, you know, okay, you tried A, B, and C, and A and B didn't work. You finally got to C, and that was the best solution. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really informative and educational. It's not just, you know, tooting their own horn.
1: Well, we're we're with you 110%, and uh, we've had uh, – What have we done now, Tim? About 450 shows? Um, A bunch of them, that's right. Yeah, we've been talking to a lot of people from everything from uh, uh, politicians, uh, may may I be forgiven, uh, politicians, (laughs) uh, uh, economists, uh, technical people, and so on. We've been talking all these issues, and one of the things that we have found is that uh, people are appreciating what we've done, not even to mention what you've done. They appreciate what we've done to get the message out. Now we have nowhere near 7,000 articles as you have, uh, and uh, I'm only through the first 500, so I, I don't know all <laughs> of what you're talking about.
2: Well, don't discount your your accomplishment. It's really admirable, and I think it's an important voice. For the manufacturing sector because the way people are absorbing media now is so it's so different and it moves so quickly you know 20 years ago we were not all reading articles on our phone and 10 years ago we were you know still having white papers and in-depth case studies now it's, you know more than 700 words and it can't be read on your phone nobody's reading it so I mean I think the service of being able to listen to your program You know, when people are, when they have the time, when they're interested, when the subject matter is right, I think it's a very valuable service. And, you know, I've certainly had to be a little more flexible because I'd say in the first couple of years of T.R. Cutler, Inc., uh, white papers and case studies were very much the backbone. Nobody's reading a 3,000-word article anymore. That's just not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Attention spans are very short. So I think, you know, get Get the information out there, let them know what's important, and take away the good stuff and move on to the next piece of content. And so that's what's happening right now in terms of how the manufacturing messaging has changed, short and sweet and to the point.
1: I get your point, and I'm not sure that there's enough people out there that know 3,000 words. (laughs)
2: sadly i agree
1: (laughs) tom
0: tom you have a passion in an area that lou and i also have a passion and that is that it's easy to write about what the big companies are doing because the big companies have resources to do you know the latest and the greatest in the industry and make a lot of noise about it But it's the the boots-on-the-ground small manufacturer where a lot of innovation happens in America, and that story is really untold. We're glad you have a passion for that.
2: Well, anybody who's ever walked a manufacturing plant floor, whether it's a five-person operation or a 5,000-person operation, there's not a single manufacturer that isn't doing his or her best to make the best possible product. They really care. It's just a consistent constant that I see in the manufacturing sector. And everyone's doing their best to make the best product they possibly can. And so I do agree with you that some of the innovation from a small manufacturer, because they're trying to respond to a customer need, to a customer request, whereas the big boys will say, hey, here's our SKUs, here's our product, take it or leave it. Well, that ends up being business for a lot of small and mid-sized manufacturers. And remember, we still have over 90% of all manufacturers in North America have under 250 people. So that's the backbone of manufacturing, are those small and mid-sized manufacturers.
1: That's that's correct. And I've been dealing with them on uh, with regards to all, um, all metals and forge group for the last 40 years. Uh, supplying them with raw materials and forged products and so on. So we, we know a lot of people. We know all their problems and trials and tribulations, the good the good moments, the down moments, the recessions, the non-recessions. And we all are dealing with these uh, ongoing problems, which we are now dealing with again. And again, I don't want to talk politics, but uh, <laughs> we, we have an issue. We have an issue. We have an issue in, uh, what's that place called? Washington, D.C., where things are just not being done the way they used to be. I mean, I I, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and I remember in the 40s when I was growing up, everybody was friends. Everybody talked uh, about politics, but he talked about it from a uh, a, a positive standpoint, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or an independent, we all know that's not happening anymore today.
2: No, but, Lou, I found out just now something we have in common. I, too, was born in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> I, Stop.
1: No, I
2: absolutely, no, it's true. It's absolutely true.
1: Oh, I, I, my I, God. Think it's
2: fu- I, <laughs> I think it's funny what you're saying because, I mean, at the end of the day, more than being a, you know, a political issue, every business – runs on a budget how do you plan and budget when you don't know what's going to happen in five minutes and what tweets will come out (laughs) it makes it impossible to predict material flow Um, how do you book orders you know a lot of stuff is taking you know orders are, are often done 6 12 18 two years in advance and if suddenly some you know, companies are saying, eh, I don't know, maybe we'll hold that purchase order for another 90 days, well, that could ruin right. a, a third quarter for a small manufacturer. So
1: right. I think it's the right.
2: unknown part, the unpredictability that makes it difficult.
1: So let's go back to Washington, D.C., because I've never met anybody from Washington, D.C. Where were you born?
2: Oh, gosh, now I'm being quizzed. Um Right. What's the military? What's the military hospital? Um, my, my oh, was the, in the naval. The,
1: the, the naval. My dad was in the
2: coast guard. I was born. Whatever that hospital. I should know this off my heart, and honestly, I don't. But whatever the military hospital is, there, that's where I was born.
1: Well, I have to tell you that my mother, in the '40s, was secretary to the commandant of the coast guard. So maybe oh. we're related.
2: I think we are <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> that's great really
1: that's that's amazing and my father worked for the government printing office near Union station
0: mm-hmm.
1: and sure. uh it it was it was a great time and uh, I loved Washington. I still go back there uh fairly fairly often uh my granddaughter is now going to George Washington University there she's now seventeen years old. Uh, so there's a lot of Washington D.C. in my in my life, and now you've entered my life as well. So um, <laughs> you and you and I will talk about home when I meet you.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, Tom. I I know your website has a section called the survey says. Can you share with our listeners a bit about what that whole 14 minute segment is? And I encourage people to go to tr cutler and that's where the whole clip is. Tom, could you share a little on that?
2: Sure. I, I, and part of where that really came out was that as I was starting the Manufacturing Media Consortium, which was, uh, again, the database I started to assemble 20 years ago, never imagining there would be 7,000 members 20 years later, um, one of the requests that came up regularly among our clients was, so where's the data? Where's the trend? Where's the, how do we know what's really going on? And, and you know, there are plenty of um, organizations that report what's happening with publicly traded companies. The challenge is, what about privately held manufacturers, which is the lion's share of manufacturing? Uh, maybe not in gross revenue, but if you, you know, the number of companies. So how does a three, four, five hundred manufacturing shop What are the issues they're facing that are different than, say, a publicly traded, you know, Fortune 1000 manufacturer? And so, so many people were saying, do you have a marketing research arm? And so, out of need, uh, we created a um, a survey says manufacturing research arm, and we are frequently asked to conduct, you know, in-depth surveys and uh, research to determine what is going on and what are the fears and anxieties and what are the challenges we did a study for example just a couple of years ago that was really interesting um about employee engagement among manufacturers and one of the things that the ceos uh, of small uh, privately held manufacturing they concluded they don't like talking to their employees or they're reluctant to because they're like we're just trying to make stuff we're not sure how to engage them and that's that was a really important result because now it's like okay, well let's arm these CEOs and C-level executives in the small and mid-sized. How do how can they do a better job? You know, at this point with low unemployment, you got to keep every good employee you have because they'll jump ship and go down the road for you know two, three, five dollars more an hour. So you've got to keep your people happy. Well. We actually did that research, and it's really transformed how many manufacturers now um, are asking their employees, how did we do, how could we do better? They're really in- engaging them in being part of a culture. And, you know, manufacturing, we always talk product. And I think ultimately manufacturing is about a culture, a culture of creating a great company that makes great products by great people. And that's all culture-driven. And so I love writing about that. And, you know, I don't know, like I said, they're all good people. And I think too often we forget to say, uh, what's this small family owned business that has two, three, four generations working still. And it's pretty awesome. It's a pretty amazing thing, but that comes out of doing surveys. So we conduct national surveys, regional surveys, um, any kind of marketing research, but always in the manufacturing sector and I will say the focus has been much more privately held, because nobody else is surveying privately held manufacturing.
0: Tom, I'm just uh, fascinated because you have touched on one of the touchstones of the millennials, and that is they don't want to take a job for the sake of having a job. They want to be part of an organization and know where they fit and what their efforts translate into both for the organization itself and for, if you will, the greater good. Uh, I, and I think that's where the heartbeat of millennials is. Would you agree? Is that what you're hearing or finding?
2: I think everything you said is 100% correct. And to communicate that, um, worthwhileness of an, being in a company, you have to tell them via text. <laughs> you have to tell them on their phone <laughs> because that's how they receive information. They don't sit in lengthy meetings. They they their attention span is very, is very short. So I have one client, for example, in uh, Arkansas, and every time somebody quote unquote punches in for work, they get an immediate text response. Thanks for coming to work today. Now I'm old enough that <laughs> nobody would have thanked me. For coming to work, they would have said, of course, you're coming to work. You want a paycheck. Nobody was thanking me for working. Uh, But this generation, they want to be acknowledged. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being part of the team. If, uh, for example, you know, one of the metrics in manufacturing is overall equipment effectiveness. Did we produce as many widgets as we could? Well, if you're on target to hit your target production People are like, we're going to, you know, they'll do bonuses based on meeting production of delivery deadlines. And so rewarding millennials for good work, super important. Good job goes a long way. Now, maybe it always has, but for this generation, they really need to hear thank you and good job.
1: I've got a problem with some of that, uh, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you old I, fart! Come on, get with the program. I, I mean, I, I've I, I've been um, uh, what am I doing? I'm doing this 50 years with the uh, the uh, metals company, uh, All Metals and Forge Group, and I, I just don't I don't see that. I don't see that you have to, you know, it's good enough that you treat your people well. You uh, do all kinds of things with the employees. But to go to the extent that the millennials need to, you know, they're there, everything will be okay, and, you know, you're, <laughs> you're all great, and I don't know. It's, it's problematic, and it causes problems for manufacturing companies to have to deal with these uh, uh, people who you have to cater to.
2: Well, Lou, nobody put a gold star on my forehead for anything I've ever done. So I'm in with you. However, right. we, we, you know, but but we live in a time when these people, when they were kids, had a phone since the time they were three, four, five years old. Right. And, and when they went, no, when you and I went to school, um, there were winners and losers, and now there's no losers. And everyone's just <laughs> part of the team and it's a different culture and i you know we can be in denial about it or think it's silly but this is the world in which they grew up and so when they were in school they got constant recognition and this is how they were reinforced that they're valid decent good i mean my you know i remember my dad would say if you say you're going to be somewhere be where you say you're going to be when you say you're going to be there you know to me it's an integrity issue always has been um I wasn't expecting a standing ovation for showing up for work. Um, But this this group of people, you know, this is how they've been conditioned. And denial isn't going to change. This is how they've been conditioned. So I will say what's interesting is more technologies are being developed so that the manufacturer can focus on the work and not on all the applause for their employees. So whether that's, you know, automating uh, messaging to their their phones, whether that's uh, visual whiteboards that the employees can see who's doing well. The one area in which manufacturing is using some of these data that's interesting, people are competitive. So if they see they made 74 uh, units in an hour and somebody else next to them made 68, uh, they feel really good about themselves. And so it actually creates a competitive And I don't mean a negative competition, but a positive one. I want to be up there in the top three, and maybe I get a reward if I'm one of the top producers on the line. And so having that visually depicted on a plant floor, a distribution center, it actually ends up being a source of motivation and not a burden for an owner to have to praise their employees constantly. So I think there are ways to use the data positively.
1: Tom, there's one expression, and and by the way, I, I, for the most part, agree with everything you just said, but there is one expression that I really have a hard time with, and I I, I only got exposed to it when I had uh, two uh, granddaughters, and I still do have them, uh, when they were young, that the expression is, good job, you did a good job, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a bad expression in my in in my world that you have to constantly be um, uh, coaching them that they've done well.
2: You know, maybe over time we'll learn how to have them congratulate themselves for being honorable, good, integrity-filled people who do excellent work. We're not there yet. And as long as they're connected to their phones 24-7, and they are uh, – <laughs> <laughs> we've got to use that that form of communication to i mean at the end of the day we're trying to produce results and if they're working if they're good employees and they're happy at their job they're going to be more productive and they're going to be a positive asset because at the end of the day the real assets of any manufacturer are the people and so if that's what they need to feel good and quote unquote do a good job then I say go for it because at the end of the day, we're trying to get people to produce, you know, the highest volume of the highest quality products.
1: I have heard recently where the employees in, here in the United States, and I don't know if this is real or not, but there was something that I did here in a news broadcast that 70% of the people working in manufacturing do not like their jobs. Is that – Are you familiar with that uh, that particular point?
2: Okay, I am, but I think there's a little bit of a misnomer in that. I don't like your job. I think the problem in recruiting new manufacturing employees is there is still a stigma and a misperception of what manufacturing is as a job. And manufacturing is trying to do a better job in communicating. It's a great, it's a decent job. Example, um, I just did a story six months ago that, you know, the sign-on bonuses to be a welder right now are twenty-five to $50,000 sign-on bonuses, right. and many I of know. those welding jobs are six-figure jobs. So right. suddenly it doesn't sound so bad to be a welder when people are seeing, you know, the salaries for some of these jobs. Um, but the perception of manufacturing, I still think, carries a stigma that isn't fair and isn't true. I mean, we all know what a new manufacturing plant looks like, and they're immaculate, and they're efficient, and they're well-designed. And I mean, ergonomics were never a consideration 50 years ago. Now it's everybody's consideration. And so I think it's, it's partly the need for manufacturers to say, this is how I keep my employees safe and healthy and happy and so i i I, I do agree with you though it's a distinction in north america from around the world because i've gone i've been over three four thousand manufacturing plants and i've been in over a hundred countries and if you go to oh malaysia totally different attitude if you go to china it's a different attitude um it's just a different perception so You know, uh, we have some work to do, I think, in pr and 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 advancing that manufacturing is a great uh, kind of operation in which to be employed.
1: Tom, I think that uh, you've done your – you've been doing your job about improving things. Uh, Tim and I have been doing our thing that we got into by accident, and we're now doing it for five years. I think that – Tim, you, and I, and maybe a couple of other people, we need to continue doing our mission and getting the point across to those who need to have that point. So we want to thank you for being on our show, and uh, uh, Tim will give you a couple of more accolades, and uh, thank you again for being on the show.
2: My pleasure.
0: And we've been speaking with Thomas Cutler, who is the CEO of T.R. Cutler, Inc. They are the leading manufacturing journalist worldwide. He has written over 7,000 articles himself and has done incredible work in getting the story that manufacturers don't tell about themselves out into the trade press and other periodicals so that people can read about manufacturing and find out just how fascinating it truly is. So, Tom, once again,
1: thanks for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, let's have your URL address and uh, perhaps an email address so that our listeners could uh, uh, contact you.
2: Absolutely. It's www.trcutlerinc.com, and my email is trcutler at trcutlerinc.com.
1: All That's right. That's terrific. Well, That's terrific. Thank you, Tom. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, as you progress in the things that you do, we want to make more contact with you, and uh, be able to uh, uh, perhaps work together on the same mission that we all have chosen. We'll do. And for
0: all of you listening to this episode, please know that on MFGtalkradio.com, we have all of the shows that Lou referred to, as well as links to other shows, such as Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, Women and Manufacturing, which has some fascinating stories on it about women and their career path in manufacturing, and we have other shows in development, so Stop by and look at the news articles that we post on what's happening in the industry, and we will keep you up to date. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.